Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in the city of Chicago, and joining us here is Jed Brewer. I contain no juice. It doesn't feel like it's true, but that would probably <laughs> depend on how widely vary you allow the definition of the word juice to be. Or no. <laughs> that's, that's definitely true. As always, the, pot, the statements made by Jed during the intro were not evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. <laughs> Join us all the way from Mercury, Tennessee is Lee Younger. I'm just picturing Jed as one of those uh, frozen cylinders of con- of like orange juice concentrate from the <laughs> 80s. Concentrated Jed. <laughs> yeah, man. Concentrated OJ, which stands for original Jed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Yes, we've got a great show lined up this week. We've got uh, some of your fine questions. But first, I'm going to declare an artificial intelligence emergency. Oh my god! We've never done this before. In a couple ways, we yeah, we we vaguely mentioned the Chat GPT when it first kind of came out as a thing. We we theorized on some ways it might be used with Christians and the pastorate and whatnot. And uh, but uh, since then, it has become more common and more uh, people can get more use out of it, trying things out on it. And uh, we wanted to get in on the fun here, so. Uh, re- semi-recently, I saw someone, because I guess the way ChatGPT works is you can write in a prompt, and then it spits out the thing. So you can say, yeah, write me a, a book report about the themes of the sea in Moby Dick, or you know, whatever you might want to spit out. But one of the prompts you can do is re- rewrite, because ChatGPT, as I understand, is basically, a, they call it a large language, a language learning model. So it basically just is an algorithm that decides what word should come next in a, in a type of thing. So um, one of the things you can do is say rewrite X in the style of, you know, a limerick or a Shakespearean soliloquy or, or this particular person. And someone we've all come over the last, oh God, <laughs> near decade to become very familiar with their unique speech uh, style is former and Lord, let's hope it stays that way. Former president of the United States, Donald Trump. Aha. So I went to the chat <laughs> GPT to see if we could, um, cause you know, he's got a large audience of people who claim to really be interested in what the Bible says. Rubber meets the road on that. There's some varying, there's some disconnects. I think we would all mm. on the show say, um, you know, recently we were talking offline about uh, some. Uh, I we won't even get into the, the show because it'll just result in anger. Uh, some some woeful and offensive misinterpreting of the story of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude! Like making the story referring to someone who uh, choked someone to death as a Good Samaritan, which is a, that's a bad Samaritan. That's you know, <laughs> at best an an unorthodox reading of that story. Yeah. Of someone who helps someone, helps them regain health, even though they're <laughs> of a different ethnic background, which is the huh. point. Along came a third Samaritan. man. He was a Samaritan. He saw the traveler wounded on the road and said, well, better finish him off. Yeah. <laughs> so um, apparently the stories as currently written are not connecting with certain audiences. So maybe uh. if we take the same, which is one thing that ChatGPT is apparently supposed to be good at, a use case, if you will. If you take the, the information 
and put it in a form that people are interested in or used to absorbing information in. So I asked ChatGPT to rewrite John chapter 1 in the style of a Donald Trump speech. And <laughs> Lord help us all, here's what it kicked out. Okay, folks, let me tell you, John chapter one is tremendous. It's a beautiful chapter. It's one of the best. Believe me, nobody <laughs> writes a chapter like John. Nobody. It's pretty good. Like, they kind of nailed this. <laughs> it's not, In not the beginning, bad. okay, there was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. It's a big statement right there, folks. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Can you believe it? Everything was made through him, and without him, nothing was made. He's a real creator of the Word, and in him was life. And then it kind of just kind of re kicks out the, the chapter, basically word for word, until it gets to the big finale. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. That's right, folks. They didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. So there you have it, folks. John chapter 1, the word, the light, the witness, and the children of God. Tremendous stuff. Absolutely tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the idea of somebody in a very high church setting ending instead of with an amen with tremendous stuff. Absolutely tremendous. <laughs> tremendous I really, stuff. The, the word, the light, the witness, the children of God, tremendous stuff. That sounds like the somebody wrote the back of a book jacket for the Gospel of John. There was also the incredulity of like, uh, you know... He was like, that's a big statement there. That's a big statement. <laughs> Didn't receive him. So I, I thought that kicked out pretty well. So then I thought, well, let's get greedy here. Let's let's and I asked Chad GPT to write First Corinthians chapter 13, which you're all probably oh familiar with if you've been to a wedding. Um, in the style of Donald Trump. Here's what Chad GPT had to say. I'm sorry, I cannot fulfill this request as it goes against my programming to generate inappropriate or offensive comment. Content. My purpose is to assist users while upholding ethical and moral standards. Aha! Whoa. I asked ChatGPT, can you regurgitate a these very famous passage about love, the style of Donald Trump? And it literally said, no. <laughs> <laughs> the Microsoft Corporation spent millions of dollars making this. We've used untold amounts of probably stolen data to fill it. And uh, that cannot be done in a way that... <laughs> I, an AI language model, deemed tasteful. <laughs> and that led me to wonder why. Um, one theory I'm still working with is it just because Corinthians refer, could refer to a group of people, this that just set off the racism alarm in the chat GPT. Right, right. Because um, I, so I, but I, I, I thought that was very funny, but I wanted to make sure that I was like, maybe there's just some things that it won't rewrite. So I asked it to rewrite First uh, Corinthians chapter 13 in the style of another of uh, the world's great orators, and it actually did work. So we know it okay. can be done. And that was in the style of the Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah! Wow. That's actually literally the first two words of the, uh, the copy it created, Jed. You know what? I feel like ChatGPT gets my soul. Yes, and you've sat through a terrible Trump impression. Believe me, I have a lot more hours of listening to the Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I think it's going to be a little bit better. I am Dude, I'm ready, so bubbled man. up. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I, I will warn you that it does the same thing. It kind of, it only the, only really the first sentence, and then it just kind of regurgitates the chapter as is, and then there's a big finish. So, but 
Oh, yeah. Chapter 13 of Corinthians. Let me tell you something, brother. It's all about love. Love is the cream of the crop, the top of the mountain, the pinnacle of existence. Oh, yeah. Without love, you're nothing but a clanging gong or a crashing cymbal, brother. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth, brother. (laughs) Then, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But then I became a man. I put childish ways behind me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known and know these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, brother. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And look, far be it for me to criticize the writings of the Apostle Paul. But if the original copy was, but the greatest of these is love, brother. Oh, yeah. I feel like large swaths of the South would be more receptive to this message. Yeah, Yeah, that's certainly true. Love is the cream, and the cream will rise to the top. Yeah. And wow. again, as we said in the original chat GPT episode, if, if you're someone who does, does the reading at church or is the pastor and you feel like people are maybe not, maybe that's a search where they check out, they're looking at their phone, they're just looking at the program. Just, just throw in a wacky voice. See what happens. Yeah. Just try one of these. <laughs> totally. What's the worst that could happen? Well, don't think about that. Fair. What's the most entertaining thing that could happen? I'm starting to think, by the way, that it was a strategic mistake to try to do an extended Macho Man impression at the beginning of the episode, because that's not great for your throat. Yeah, you need some water? I'm, I'm okay, but uh, it, it didn't work for him. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So That's incredible. Um, yeah, the main takeaway from that, again, is if you ask one of the largest technological projects in the last decade... Hey, can you write uh, what this guy would talk about sounding, would sound like talking about love? It will go, no, I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) What about this patently insane man who literally just did violence in a cartoonish way for a living? Oh, yeah, I can, that, we can, that's fine. Yeah, we got you. (laughs) I'm, I'm sure he would talk about love. Broke the robot. That's not, just imagine what this guy would talk about talking would sound like talking about love being patient and kind. No, that's beyond the scope of technology. <laughs> I did I did see a late night show at a certain point in the past, you know, four or five years where um somebody had uh the actor Andy Circus who who did the voice of of Gollum in the yeah. Lord of the Rings movies. And he had uh Andy Circus read Donald Trump tweets in the voice of Gollum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which that was, just worked. That's yeah, it's just one of the more fantastic videos ever. So it, at a certain point, it would be it would be it would be interesting to see some of the scriptures uh, written as if they had been written by Gollum at this point. But um, Dude. that was pretty cool. Yeah, I I I'd take the gospel according to Gollum. That's a great idea. <laughs> now that 
that is exactly a uh, a product offering that the the yeah. say that industries could kick off the gospel according to Gollum. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here for that, man. Like that's well, one of know, those we have to Google that to see if it's been done. The other, <laughs> as you're looking that up, the other AI thing I want is so you guys probably know right that like there started to be a whole like AI music thing, and like a month ago there was like a track that you know kind of had an AI model of Drake and The Weekend, and it was a kind of a big yeah. controversy. I have no opinions about intellectual property rights. I don't really care, but. If I could have Drake in the weekend via AI perform all of the cheesy Christian songs from camp in my youth, I would wow. pay money for that. If I could have Drake and the weekend do, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. Wow. Man, I would, <laughs> I would turn that jam all the way up, dude. Yeah. I think, I think there are some acts that like that just works for like, I mean, this may be me speaking because I'm old, but I don't think anybody takes Drake that seriously. So, like, the Drake AI version of Father Abraham, I feel like people will be like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's cool. We can do that. But then somebody's going to take it too far and be like, <laughs> no, what about yeah, the Nas make... version of this? People will be like, you've gone. Yeah, we well, don't it's, joke it's about like, that. You, you, yeah, somebody's going somebody's gonna to get Biggie to do a VeggieTales song, and the whole thing's just going to break. Oh, that would be incredible. The notorious V E J V E G. Yeah. Now that is uh, so. Apparently, by the way, we are we are first to this because there is no uh, gospel according to Gollum. But man, do you get some weird Google results from that? I bet you do. <laughs> the first one being something called VoyageComics.com. dot com. Is how Judas is the Gollum of the Gospels. Uh. Okay. Sure they did. That's that's not don't please don't do that. Um Vessels of Mercy, God, Grace, and Gollum, Tolkien slash the Hobbit. The riddle of Gollum was Tolkien inspired by Old Norse Gold, the Jewish Golem, and the Christian Gospel from a website called Medievalist.net, which even I am not a big enough nerd to frequent. Ha! <laughs> I think we we don't need to under I think one thing we need to shine a lot on here is an achievement on Jed's part of finding an angle on Lord of the Rings and Christianity that mi- that middle-aged white dudes have not done to death. Oh, That's thanks, true. man. Well, I it's an honor just to be nominated, and I'm just glad that my— For the goalies? Uh, if for the goalies. I'm just glad that my misspent youth is finally, you know, paying off in this way for, for the edification of the brethren. Also, as as we move as we transition out of this, this reminds me, maybe it wasn't maybe just the home video production equipment wasn't there. But when Lord of the Rings came out, like the first one with Gollum, where they did kind of the the cutting back and forth between the Smeagol and Gollum thing, how many terrible mega church versions of that were there about like the the flesh and the spirit or somebody being yeah you know at war with oneself once again. AI could not calculate that number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The computer would be broken. I do have to go back for a second because early Please. in this conversation, you mentioned something, you mentioned something, Matt, about Shakespeare. And as well as I know you, I can't stop thinking about the idea that there's an unpublished uh, notebook somewhere of chat GPT stuff where you have put in, uh, you know, like a, a King Lear speech 
in the voice of, you know, Ric Flair or something like that. Knowing your love for both Shakespeare and oh. uh, professional wrestling, I just can't see that we haven't had like a uh, a St. Crispin's Day speech in the voice of, you know, uh, uh, you know, DX or something like that. I don't even know if I said that right. You did. It's uh, if you know enough wrestling, it's it's that's a actually hilarious uh, one up because those are not well spoken gentlemen. But yes, uh, yeah, I'm. I we don't have time because that would be the rest of the show. But Lee has given me <laughs> a wonderful thing that um, if you are someone who uh, is, whose business is re- is reliant on my uh, day job, I apologize because that's all my brain's going to be doing for the next week. I'm going to be on a call about year over year data and ad trends and whatnot. And the only thing I'll be thinking is a, some kind of game show that only me would want to go on where someone just reads a single line and you have to decide King Lear or King Haku. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, don't, don't keep us in complete suspense. Can we have, you pick your one favorite line from Christmas day, but as Macho Man, Randy Savage. Oh gosh. Let me. It's been a minute. Let me look at the, the St. Christmas speech. Well, I mean, I mean, it's like you, there's got to be some kind of uh, wrestling association, some some kind of like heel turn or face turn or something like that, where there was a group of guys where the we few, we band of brothers would apply. Sure. Yeah. I, I think you're talking about kind of an NWO turn where it's we few, we happy few, we band of brothers chair shot. oh i'd tell you what you do because he was he was the macho king for a time so it would be the hollow crown speech the hollow crown which which rounds rounds the mortal temples of the macho king (laughs) as if we were brass impregnable (laughs) (laughs) yes yes matt take that People who say I will never said I would never use the stuff I learned in college, which was mostly watching wrestling. And by people, I mean my parents. And by that, take that, I mean you were right. But you know, here we are. That was amazing, dude. And on that, fantastically done. Fever dream of a statement. We will declare emergency off. <laughs> you know the beautiful thing about being 12, 11, 12 years into doing this. And being comfortable with the fact that we're we're not a huge podcast. We don't make money off this. We're just we're having fun. We like we love hanging out. We love, you know, giving help to you listeners. Uh you can go off in some weird places. Yeah. And we yeah. don't have to explain to a network or an advertiser or anyone why we did those things. <laughs> and there's a lot to be said for that. It just felt right. What can I tell you? Absolutely right. We're not going to jump into your fine questions. If you have a question for us, handle this all the way to the end. I'll get some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down your episode description and click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, how do I empathize when someone is having a hard time without joining in on their negativity in a way that is bad for me? And Leah loves you starts off here. I think this is, this is an excellent question. We talk a lot. We've talked a lot over the years on the show about, um, you know, it's it being important to vent, it'd be important to have people to vent to, you know, even biblically, you know, rejoice with those rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. But I do think when someone is in a a place in life where they're doing a lot of venting, have a lot of frustrations, there there can be this very real concern that I don't I don't want to get myself, I don't want to 
kind of catch that and get in a way where I'm just seeing the negative and everything and, and coming into that headspace. So how do we, how do we strike that balance? That's a really good question, man. And, and certainly one of the things with, that we want to uh, line out here is that everyone has different kind of personality traits and some people internalize more than other people do just as a natural reaction. Um, and, and a lot of times um, internalization that is, that can be unhelpful is kind of the, it's kind of the negative side of the coin to someone who is good at empathy. Um, there are people who are naturally very empathetic and there are people who have to really, really work hard to drum up some empathy. The other side of the coin for those two types of personalities is someone who's very empathetic is going to be uh, much more susceptible to internalizing someone's difficulties or hurt or pain or, or emergency. Whereas someone who is not naturally good at empathy is going to find a distance from somebody else's struggle or pain or hurt, a, a much more easy thing to, to, to deal with. That being said, um, understand that there are some natural things about this, that if you are finding yourself as someone who uh, is easily uh, onboarding someone else's negativity, it may be a time for you to recognize about yourself as a positive thing I may be a very empathetic person. And if that's, if that's something that, that, you know, maybe you haven't recognized about yourself or you just haven't looked at before, I just want to say to you, the world needs more of you. We need more empathy on this planet. We need more empathy in our societies and in our relationships. So, um, I'm, I'm grateful that you are you. That being said, um, when you look at what it looks like to be quote unquote there for someone, when they're having a hard time, whether that's just relationally, if just like in a friendship way, or professionally, like in a like a counselor or a therapist, or you know, even like an HR person or a, a supervisor or anything like that, there is a way of being uh, active and present in the midst of someone talking about their hurt or um, or their struggles or whatever without taking on the responsibility of being the person who has to fix their situation. Um, counselors talk about um, uh, a phrase that you would hear counselors use is not owning someone's emergency. I can be here for you. I can listen to you. I can ask helpful questions and I can maybe guide you towards some wisdom or maybe just be a person who says, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. That sounds really, really difficult. Without being a person, without being the person who has to to face the actual responsibility of coming up with the solutions to that difficulty, the solutions to you know the 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 key that's going to get them out of that locked room, um, I, and you have to be able to um, it, whether it's relational or professional, you have to be able to separate those two things out. It's possible for me to listen. It's possible for me to ask helpful questions. It's possible for me to, quote unquote, be there for you without actually being the person who is going to be responsible for fixing your situation or solving your emergency. Some of that, at first glance, probably could feel like a little bit cold. It's like, oh, wait, so what, you're, you're going to be there for somebody, but you're not going to help them fix their thing? Well, look. Some of the some of what we experience in people's negativity or their hopelessness is like is the fact that like hey I like I can't actually onboard that into my personal life right now. 
That's not a helpful thing. It's not a helpful thing for me to for me to get pulled down under the water with you. I am very sorry for what you're going through. I'm willing to listen on that. And if there's something I can do to help, I would love to. But I cannot take on the full responsibility of your emergency. And I definitely, you know, emotionally can't onboard your negativity. Um, However you need to say that, however you need to think about it in your mind, it's worth thinking about when I am helping someone, what can I do and what can I not do? and How can I be a good support without actually entering so far into the situation that we're both going to go underwater? That's a fantastic place to start that off. And Jed, where do we take it from there? That's great stuff, man. Just to build on that, I think that a big thing is limiting exposure. Um, You know, most therapy sessions are an hour. They're not 16 hours. And that is because um, you can't. You can't really do productive thinking or listening or talking over that time frame. And so, um, you know, it's it's great to, you know, meet a friend for lunch and maybe even a long lunch. But if it's turning into all day, I think it's worth asking, do you have the stamina to actually deal with that all day? And it's it's okay to say no, like everybody has limits. Um, And again, most therapy sessions are an hour. So uh, bear that in mind. And just like Lee's saying, you know, I think you want to feel totally free to be aware and to call out when something is inappropriate or out of bounds or just not something that you can or want to do, right? Like there are, there are conversations that people can want to have where you for any number of reasons may not be the best person for them to have that conversation with. And you're allowed to say, Hey, look, I care about you and I, and I love you. And I, I, I want all the best for you. Um, that, that particular topic may not be the best one, you know, for, for you and I, why don't we, why don't we skip on to something else? That's, that's totally yeah. cool. You know, or if somebody's getting a place where it just kind of, you know, they're circling the drain and it's just, you know, nothing but negativity you know, it's, it's not necessarily a problem to say, Hey man, I, I hear you. But I got to be honest, man, at this point, you're, you're kind of starting to, to bum me out. Is that, you know, is that where you're meaning for this conversation to go? I'm, I'm just checking. But kind of a lot of that does go back to that idea of um, being aware of the degree of exposure that you can roll with in, in a healthy way. And, and maybe one barometer, and I know we bring this up on the show a lot, but I think it applies a lot, is that idea of being a cheerful giver. Like being empathetic to another human being is a form of giving. It is a form of generosity. There's an amount you can do and feel good about it. And then there's an amount past that where you're starting to just feel exhausted. And a a good barometer is to do the amount that you can feel good about. And it's fine if that's 15 minutes or 45 minutes or two hours. It doesn't really matter. But listen to your body. Listen to your brain. Listen to your nervous system. You know, if you're getting to a point like, man, I, I can't really be a cheerful giver anymore. Pay attention to that. And the, the last thing that I would add, and this goes right with what Lee is saying, is you cannot and should not be a person's sole support network. Yeah. Um, like, you are nobody's savior and neither am I. And um, it's great to be a good friend. Um, if you're a person who has training and it makes sense, it's it's okay to, to offer you know, some, some thoughts and whatnot, but like 
you cannot be the sum total of this person's space to be heard in their life. Um, you know, and being aware that to expect that out of you would be an inappropriate thing and that you have both a freedom and a responsibility to not kind of get put in that position is a good thing. That's not being a bad friend. That's not, you know, failing to to be supportive. That's recognizing the limits of what you're capable of and the limits of what is both appropriate and helpful. I think it's fantastic stuff from both of these guys. I will, I will kind of add to that. This is almost a little bit more of an advanced technique. So I want to make sure I'm describing this correctly. There is, there can be a gap between what you say to someone and what you actually are thinking in your own, yeah. uh, in your own inner parts. And we talk, you know, a lot about on the show, we've talked a lot over the years about like, no one wants to hear necessarily if, if you're just venting to someone and getting stuff off your chest, it's very possible that you don't want to hear solutions. Yeah. You certainly don't want to hear the bright side. You don't want to hear about how maybe that person who you, this person is venting about actually may have had a point. They just expressed it wrong. Da, 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 da. Those are things that are not particularly helpful. Um, at least in that just friend venting to another friend kind of way uh, to, to bring up, but you're allowed to think those things. You're allowed to also uh, think, wow, to say and hopefully mean is in that empathetic way that Lee is pointing out of, oh, man, I'm really sorry you're going through a tough time. That really sucks. You're also allowed to think they are going through a tough time. I don't know if this their read on this is entirely correct, but that's not for me to say. You can also, and this helps you pick, uh, we often talk about how the antidote to a lot of negative emotions and negativity is thankfulness. So whether that's you think there is something in this your, this person's uh, situation to be thankful about, they're kind of missing, or just think, man, they really seem to be having a hard time at work. Uh, things are going pretty good for me at work. I'm really grateful for that. I'm not going to look for negativities in my own work situation so that I can come in on the same wavelength. I'm going to empathize with this person, but then be really grateful that I am not having this kind of negative experience. Uh, thankfulness is always a good place to go for an antidote, a- anecdote, and always we. You know, it's good to be supportive if you're in that situation and you're, it's good to be vented to, but you don't have to buy into everything that's being vented. You are affirming the person's emotional experience. That doesn't mean you have to fully buy into every detail they're giving you, giving to you. You don't need to argue with them out loud, but that's, that is the kind of thing you can keep track of inside and that can, can help, uh, inure you a little bit to the, the overall emotional experience. If that's, if that's important to you. Move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, I know finding a mentor is a helpful thing. What can I do until I find someone who fits that role? I think this is is a great follow-up and kind of fill in the gaps question to uh, some advice we've given a lot over the course of this show. And Lee, where do we start off here? You know, I I do love this question. I I have just a a little smattering of some kind of practical things that I would do if I were in your position, which is that if you are part of a local church, um, starting there, I think that I would look for a group that you can join, like a community group or a small group or something like that. I say that because in a lot of, um, especially kind of, and by the way, we, we say this pretty clearly and pretty often, but, uh, you know, depending on the size town you're in, look for a smaller church. Yep. Um, it, rather than a gigantic church with thousands of people and those uh, you know, the vending machines with earplugs in them and stuff like that. But if Wait, you can find it, no, that's a real thing. They, uh, wow. I, I, I received, uh, 
uh, Matt and I have a mutual friend who used to live in Missouri, and there was a there was a church that was literally called uh, well the French uh, term for the cross, La Croix, is the oh. name of the church, um, and <laughs> they have the old school like 1990s 1980s gumball machines um and toy machines that you would find in the grocery store or in the arcade but sure. instead of gumballs and and delightful plastic toys you would turn the little metal crank and a little plastic globe would come out with uh with earplugs in them because that's how loud the music's going to be guys wow that is not a solution you've identified hmm. the problem yep you've we know not it's solved there. the problem yeah so um, look for a look for a small church, um, and within that place, look for a, a community group or a small group. I, I say that because if you can find something like that, these types of groups are designed. They don't always pull it off, and some of them are trying their hardest and they're trying to figure it out. But these groups are designed to be places where people can share their lives, where people can share meals, where people can pray for each other and be there for each other. If you can find a group like that that's learning how to be a community. Then, then, in in the in the meantime, while we're looking for a mentor type relationship, what we're finding is we're finding other people who are living their life, who probably have some similar basic beliefs, and who are who who believe in in prayer, who believe in fellowship, who want to have you over to hang out and have a burger, who want to meet you for coffee, and who care about what's going on in your life. That's a very good kind of thing to hook up while you're looking for this mentor relationship is relationships with other people who care about what's going on in your life, who will invest in talking to you, praying for you, following up, and getting you involved in what's going on with their life as well. Another thing is look for some place to serve. That may be in a church. That may not be in a church. You may find an organization where you can be a part of – you can join a team that that helps uh, – tutoring for kids who don't have a lot of academic support at home. Um, there are lots of organizations like that in, in larger cities or even mid-sized towns. Um, look for an organization that, that helps uh, kids who don't have English as their uh, first language. Um, for kids from uh, poverty-stricken neighborhoods, work on their homework or whatever. Um, or maybe just a, a soup kitchen or some, some kind of situation where you can serve people who need to be helped. Um, uh, the, look, for, um, look, look for an organization that, that helps to, that desires to tackle homelessness or women's health issues or people who have been in abusive situations and are looking for rehabilitation or uh, looking for, uh, you know, residential facilities, whatever. Look for a team that is longing to serve people and join up with that team. Again, you're going to find yourself uh, in a group of people who have a, who have a, a shared goal, who have some shared uh, beliefs and values, who will get to know each other and spend time together and pray for each other and that kind of thing. These types of groups can give people, can give you people who um, as they get to know you, we'll check in on you. As you're looking for that mentor relationship, this is the kind of thing you're looking for, is you're looking for someone who enters into your life at a degree that's deeper than your average coworker, who cares about what's going on with you, cares about how you feel about those things, and wants to walk with you, 
check in with you, pray for you, and get you involved in their life as well. Another fantastic place to start that off. And Jed, where we close us out? No, it's all great stuff. So here's kind of the the other angle of that, which is a lot of just kind of the the practical advice stuff. So none of these people are exactly mentors, but they can be very, very helpful. So the first would be a, you know, a therapist or a counselor. And here's the thing. You don't need like a problem in your life to talk to a counselor. Um, yeah. It's actually just a, a great idea just because it's good to have that role in, in your life. The next one that can be super, super helpful is um, either a career counselor or a career coach. Um, these are people that can help you figure out just how to develop in your professional life. And it, it turns out that a lot of success in the working world, at least in America, boils down into knowing how to drive your own career forward. And um, that's not something that a lot of people have been taught. And career counselors and career coaches are uh, great people to talk to if that's something that you care about. Um, another one, and this is kind of the if you care about it, but I want to unpack it a little bit because it needs a little bit of explanation, is the idea of a financial advisor or a financial planner. You don't need to be rich to talk to a financial advisor. In fact, part of the point of talking to a financial advisor is getting a perspective on how do I think about money mm. in a functional way. Like one of the things that's true in a lot of families is for a lot of kids growing up, their parents never really talked to them about money. Um, and like maybe you took an econ class in you know high school or college at some point, but like it's weird the extent to which knowing how to think about money has a huge impact on your life, but there's actually not a ton of effort to make sure that people know how to do that. And so, um, a, again, a financial advisor or planner can be a really helpful resource. And like, I'm not looking for somebody to tell me what stocks to buy. I just like, how, how do I think about money? And like, what should I do? That can be super useful. Another one, if it's something that's of interest to you, um, is a combination of both a, a dietitian and, or a personal trainer. Everybody eats food every day. And your, your food has all kinds of impacts on you. Most of us, um, it's just as no one taught most of us about money. No one taught most of us about food. Uh, having someone that can, you know, help you understand what uh, good food is, can be a good idea. Um, also similarly, like, um, physical activity can be great. It's also, you can, it's, it's easy to overdo it or underdo it. And having someone that can guide you in that and help you figure out physical activity that works for you can be a cool thing. You don't, you don't need necessarily any of those, but depending on where you're at in your life and what you're trying to figure out, any of those people can be super, super helpful. Um, and one of the key things is none of those have to be from now on relationships. Like if you're like, I've never really thought about how to drive forward my own career. You can talk to a career counselor once or twice or three times and be like, okay, I got it. I'm good for now. Um, and then, and then move on. You don't, you don't have to just do that in perpetuity. What I would encourage you towards is asking yourself, what areas of my life do I feel like I don't really have a framework, right? Do I have a framework in how I think about my emotions? If not, talking to a therapist is a great idea. Do I have a framework in how I think about my career and how I build a career? If not, talk to a career counselor. Do I have a framework for money? Do I have a framework for food? Do I have a framework for physical activity? Um, all of these are people that can help give you a framework in addition to specific advice, but the specific advice can be very, very helpful, but the framework in many ways is even more helpful. And 
if you recognize that there's an area in your life where you really don't have that framework, the earlier that you get that, the more dividends that will pay off, the more the more value you will get out of it. And so you may think of of yet another thing of like, you know, I always wanted to. I always want to know about painting, but I just never got the opportunity and whatnot. You you can actually reach out to someone that like teaches basic art lessons and get some pointers on how to begin that journey. But none of those people are exactly a mentor, but all of them can play a guiding role in a piece of your life that can really help you get unstuck and get moving in a direction that you feel a lot better about. Really, really great stuff from both these guys Uh, to, to put it in incredibly simple terms. What you're looking for on some level is someone who knows stuff you don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can get that in one person who uh, knows a lot about a lot of stuff that you don't know, great. Um, I think when we talk about a mentor relationship, uh, we're referring to maybe more of a holistic thing. Just kind of generally somebody who knows something about life, knows things about life that you don't know. But as these guys are saying, it is possible if until you find that person or if that person just kind of never fully appears to there's lots, everybody knows something you don't know mm-hmm. about something. Um, and so, as Jed points out, some people are paid to know things you don't know about things like uh-huh. uh, mental health and nutrition and these kind of things. So seeking those out. And as Lee pointed out, just going to a place where people are doing stuff. When people do stuff over a period of time, they learn things. They learn things about that particular thing. Sometimes they learn things in general about helping people and being patient and, uh, operating in the world and it's a great place to, to pick stuff up. So those kind of lessons are everywhere around you. And it is, is a very good thing to use the advice these guys gave you to go finding them. One other quick thing, and we, we regularly point this out, but it, it bears repeating here. A lot of the resources that, that were mentioned here can cost money and it'd be to be like, ah, oh, well, I'm, you know, I don't have any money. I, I can't really do any of that. If there's something specific that you're looking for, like, man, I'd really love to talk to, a career counselor, but I just, I don't have the means for that. Email us. We can probably help you figure out something somewhere with somebody, even if it's a a phone call for a few minutes to begin to get some guidance. Don't feel like those doors are closed to me right now. They're they're actually probably not. So if there's something you're really trying to hook up, drop us a line and let us help you figure it out. Yes. Everybody in the world has their own areas of expertise, as I mentioned. And one of the uh, overlapping areas of expertise for your friends to say that podcast is being able to pull stuff off when extremely broke. Yeah. <laughs> we've all been there and it's a skill set we've all developed. So as Jed points out, uh, shoot us an email if you have a specific question about one of these particular areas. All right. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says several places in the Bible. It talks about it being the last days back then. How's that work with us being 2000 years past the last days? And I think a, a very, a very cool question, a lot of interesting stuff there. And Lee, where do we start here? Yeah, it is a cool question. I, I want to talk about this in a couple of different ways. One, let's deal with a little bit of the Bible stuff real quick. Um, the sense that you get from the scriptures is that basically that, that kind of time marched along in a straight line Um, Through the Old Testament, with all kinds of promises about a person who was going to come and accomplish certain things, that was going to change the way that that everyone dealt with with God and eternity and all of that. Time marched along in a straight line, leading to that one person. And of course, we believe uh, that person was Jesus, and that the New Testament opens, he's born he starts teaching, he starts uh, working miracles, and then he 
fulfills all these prophecies. He dies, rises again from the dead, and now a new way of experiencing God and life in a new offer is is on the table for anybody that wants to take it. The sense that you get from the scriptures is time marched along in a straight line until all of those things could be accomplished with him. And then as soon as all of that happened, the idea that you get is that um, basically we entered into a new state of time in which I'm going to call it any minute now. Any minute now, the 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 end could come the the everything about how we understand reality and all that kind of stuff could be over we're all swept up and the, the whole thing is is done and and basically um we the one thing that's clear from the scriptures is no one knows when that's going to happen anybody that tells you they've calculated the dates and they've figured out the things and they've crunched the numbers uh the the thing that Jesus said is no one knows the date including him only the father knows uh, when when everything's going to kick off. The sense, so again, th- just from a strictly biblical point of view, the sense that you have is time marched along in a straight line until certain things were accomplished with Jesus, and then as soon as all that happened, then we kind of changed, and now we're in this any minute now situation where people are hearing about the good news of Jesus, that message is spreading across the world, and people are coming into the kingdom of God. Okay, um, so that that's kind of my understanding of some of the biblical stuff about this. But let's talk about it from a different perspective. Whenever it happens, so for 2,000 years, people have said, we're in the last days. Any minute now, all of this could kick off. We don't know what's going to happen. So our question is, in the meantime, what do we do? How are we to think about this? And how are we to interact with the world? And I think the answer to that question for you and for me is, as I look around in the world, what do I care about? What tugs at my heartstrings? What is the wrong in the world that I want to be a part of writing? What is the difficult thing that I want to be a part of making something that I want to be a part of making different? What is something about the world that I want to be different until it is over? How can I impact some change? How can I help someone? I don't know when the world's going to end. I don't understand that. By the way, that the the seminary, like, uh, like the 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 big, uh, you know, twenty four dollar word that that people in seminary use is the the word eschatology. It means the study of the last things. I don't know what it really means to be in the last days. I don't know when the world's going to end. Neither does anybody else. But whether we're in the last days or not, the biggest question for me is, as a person who believes in and, and is trying to walk with and follow the teachings of Jesus, in my little corner of the world, what do I want to see be different? And how can I be a part of making that different? Who can I serve? Who can I love? Who can I walk alongside and how can I help? I don't know when everything's going to kick off. I don't know when everything's going to end. But in the meantime, what can I do about this world that does need a lot of things to change? And where do I want to set my hands to helping that change happen? It's a wonderful place to start that off. And Jed, where do we close it out? Yeah, I loved all that, man. Well, just as a little bit of a math nerddom. So, uh, if you if you look at kind of archaeology and anthropology, we've definitely had people, as we think of them, 
for at least 40,000 years, almost certainly more like 130,000 years. And, and depending on, on how you think about it, uh, definitely possibly in the 300 to 500,000 years range. Here's why that matters. A, a deviation of 2,000 years is respectively a 5%, 1.5%, or 0.5% difference. So it could, within the, the arc of humanity, it, it could have been the last days 2,000 years ago and, and still be the last days today. It's not, <laughs> it's actually not a huge swing because we've had people a long time. So that, that totally tracks. With kind of the deeper what does it all mean question, I, I very much agree with what Lee said. And, and here's another way of looking at the same thing. Here, here's one of the lessons that kind of I took away from the pandemic is you have opportunities before you today that may not be here tomorrow. Um, the world changes and sometimes it changes pretty quickly. I think one of the things that's, um, the nature of, of being young and even being a kid is that you, you experience the world and you think that the world will basically always be the way that it currently is. And that's not true. The world actually changes a lot and it changes pretty rapidly. And so there are things that are available to you today that will not be available to you a year from now. Um, and that won't be available six months from now, may not be available next week. And while we don't want to live our lives in a mad panic, we do want to say if there's something that you care about, if there's something that's important to you, do it now. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, you can view this as a matter of the end of time. You can also just view it as the fact that we live in a world where things change and sometimes pretty quickly. If there's a thing you care about, do it now. If there's not a compelling reason to to wait do it now and certain things like for example saying a kind word to someone if you've had a kind thought in your heart about another person say it you don't know when you will uh, no longer have the chance to say that word to that person if there's a kind thing you've That's been right. holding back on say that kind thing do that kind thing like lee said if there's a mission that you've been wanting to be a part of even if it's in a, a small way or temporary way do it do it now if there's an adventure that you've been wanting to go on, whether it's an adventure in your hometown or somewhere else in the world, again, if there's not a compelling reason for you to wait, do it. Um, none of us are promised tomorrow, man. End times or no, none of us are promised tomorrow. And one of the great wishes we, you know, we referenced earlier, we've been doing the show a long time. One of the great wishes that I have for everybody who listens to this show is that you live with as few regrets as possible. And I think one of the things that leads us to living with as few regrets as possible is do the stuff that you care about when you have the chance to do it. Mm. Um, five years from now, I, if God grants you the grace to, to live uh, another five years, the following things I guarantee you will be true five years from right now. There will be new doors and new adventures available to you then that are not available to you right now. But there are doors and adventures available to you right now that will not be available to you then. Yeah. And one of the secrets to living a satisfied life and a good life and, dare I say, a life to the full, which is a phrase that I just made up and didn't take from anyone else, <laughs> one of the secrets to that kind of life is taking a hold of what you can take a hold of today. Yesterday's gone and it's not coming back. Tomorrow isn't here yet and you don't know what tomorrow's going to be. Live fully today. Um, and I think that that is one of the lessons that the Bible wants us to take from the idea of the last days. And in fact, to that point, um, the book of Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 3, 
literally talks about encouraging one another while it is called today. It is doing the good that you can do today. And I would expand that out a little bit to live the good life that you can live today, loving others, having adventures, having fun, being your real self, speaking your truth. Do it today, man. Do it today. Whether um, the end times means another 2,000 years or another 2,000 seconds, live authentically, live the real you, live a life of love today. I think that's absolutely right. Fantastic stuff uh, from both of these guys. And we, we we have talked a lot on the show over the years about how a lot of this stuff, whether it be eschatology or, or whatever, premillennium, postmillennium, tribalism, what all, all that, you know, whatever. Um, a great question to ask when some when people are getting too wound up about that is, so what? What does this mean for me? What does this mean? What do I have to to just point? What what does this say? Your eschatology is perfect, and you're a, you're a postmillennial tribulationist or whatever. What does that mean for me tomorrow? Yep. Nothing. Cool. Um, so to kind of to Jeff's point, you know, uh, Jesus breaks down a fair amount of this stuff in, in an interesting way in Luke chapter 12, he's telling, I mean, starting in verse 35, be, what it means, be dressed, ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from wedding banquet. So when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. As Jed said, you know, a lot of this kind of breaks down to, there's a thing that is laid out. We know is going, we believe is going to happen. Uh, there's a thing we know is going to happen, which is the world will end some way or another. <laughs> um, you know, the death of the universe, asteroid, whatever you got. Um, so uh, your your life on this earth will end some way or another. Um, we do believe that you know the, the Jesus will return. That's going to be a thing that happens concurrent or some way related to one of those things. But uh, we know it's going to happen, and uh, it doesn't. In some ways, it doesn't change a lot, but you know, in some ways, in, in the ways that it does inform anything about the way you need to go about your life, that actually hasn't changed from the time that the Bible was being being written and the, the story's being written about to today. We we do live in a lot of ways in just kind of the same situation as those people where it could be tomorrow. I mean, and it doesn't seem super likely, but could be as much as it could have been then. And that does kind of recap us to uh, the a very important thing we're talking about at the end times, which is anybody who claims to know when it's happening is claiming to know more about it than Jesus, <laughs> that Jesus. They're claiming to have secret knowledge that Jesus declares he does not have. So whether that's we need to, this political thing needs to happen so that it can happen and that'll set this in terms or I did the math. and it's gonna, No, that's always complete nonsense. The, we, you know, we get to peak at the end of the chapter, you know, it's, it all ends up fine. So with that in place, we can make those decisions that Lee and Jed are talking about to have good lives, to tell people things, to live in a way uh, which comes down to whenever we get the way things in the Bible, that's, you know, Jesus does say you, he came that you have life. And I think he stole that from Jed. We established, you're welcome. And, you know, talks about free, you know, coming to give freedom to, break people's chains to lighten the load on them. So anything like this, even if it seems big and scary, well, a great thing to do is to look for where the freedom is, where the joy is, where the relaxation is, where the unburdening as opposed to the burdening is, because that is a good indication that you're getting closer to the truth of, of what Jesus wants you to take out of that thing. With that said, we 
are going to wrap it up for this week. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com slash ask. And we keep that entirely anonymous. Take you out with a track this week. This is from our old friends in the Deacons division. Their take on the hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Really fun track. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God love you. There's nothing you can do about it. Say the word.